Hello, Pixel Peeps. Welcome to Images Everything with your host, the Pixel Pimp himself, Rav Holly. What up, what up, what up, Pixel Peeps? Welcome to another episode of Images Everything. Today's episode is going to be brought to you by our sponsor, Safety Source Productions. If your company needs a safety or training video custom made for you and your crew, you can rely on Safety Source Productions. You can find Safety Source Productions on the web at safetysourceproduction.com. All right, guys. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, Today we're going to be talking a little bit about that subject of photography. That's going to be my forte anyway. So the topic today and today's show is going to be that uh, question for those newbies. Do you start off in manual mode or do you start off in auto mode? I've got that question, so we're going to try to answer that today. So let's do this. Our goal is not the victory of might, but the vindication of right. Let's go. Thanks for joining us today on uh, Images Everything. Again, I'm your host, Rob Holly. I'm a photographer, if you don't know. Uh, hopefully, uh, by this time, uh, you actually have an idea who I am. And if not, uh, you can look me up on the web at ravholly.com. That's R-A-V-H-O-L-L-Y.com. You can also hit me up on Twitter at ravholly and uh, Instagram at ravholly. Anyway, so uh, to our topic today. So uh, I was asked recently... Uh, for a client shoot, even though it was a, it's a free photo shoot, should a newer photographer start out in auto mode or should they start out in manual mode? Uh, and that's a slippery slope. It depends on where your skills are and it depends on where how comfortable you are with your camera. Uh, the last thing you want to do is not get the shot. So if you're not completely comfortable with your camera and if you don't know exactly what you're doing in manual mode, you could actually miss the shot. So I think the most important thing is getting the shot. So uh, if you, you know, if you if you're not completely 100% competent in manual mode, uh, you know, you're gonna need, you know, your camera can help you there. You know, that's what auto mode is for. Uh, until you get, you know, I mean, I can change my camera on the fly. I can, uh, you know, even if I don't have a light meter, I can look at the back of my camera, see if I'm underexposed. You can use your uh, histogram, see if you're underexposed, see if you're overexposed. But I can basically pretty much just tell. And there's a point you get when you've been a photographer uh, 
for a minute, you know, you just, you get to that point where you don't even have to really think about the settings. Uh, you just, I mean, I don't even, I very, very rarely after I ever stop and go, oh, well, I guess I better put this at 125th of a second and I better try this at a F5.6. I mean, I just dial my numbers in there. And uh, it doesn't matter if I'm shooting a wedding, um, you know, if I'm in studio, I pretty much know what my settings are going to be. I'm going to run at uh, one two hundredth of a second at probably around F8. I usually keep it around F8 and uh, I usually go with a daylight white balance. Uh, even when I'm shooting in studio, I'll go with a daylight white balance. But, uh, you know, if you're not comfortable with your camera 100%, then... Yeah, I don't know that I can recommend you starting out doing a gig, basically, for a client. Even if it's a free photo shoot, they're going to be expecting some good pictures from you. That's the reason they've asked you to shoot their uh, their event, because they have faith in you. And, uh, you know, so I don't know that I could tell you, you know, and be comfortable telling you to start out in manual mode. What I might do is tell you to start out in auto mode and, uh, you know, let your camera, you know, get an idea or look at your camera and see what settings your camera is auto picking. And then maybe you can play going over to manual. You know, if your camera puts you like at, uh, if you're inside, uh, let's say for instance, you're inside and, uh, you know, your camera, you have a, let's say you're shooting a, a 2472.8 and your camera goes way down on shutter speed and puts you down like at one eighth, one eightieth of a second, uh, which you basically are going to need a monopod or tripod for that. Uh, so you don't get some blur. So, uh, you know, and put you like at an F4, F4, four, five or something like that, four, three, what you might do is go ahead and go up to a hundred, one, one, one and one hundredth of a second and bring your camera all the way down to as low as your uh, lens will go or as, uh, the f-stop as low as it'll go is to f2.8 and uh, that way you can let more light into the lens and uh, you will not get as much blur you know you'll it's a little faster you can uh, actually hand hold at one and one hundredth of a second and uh, not get the camera shake just from you holding the camera uh, if you, if I go under one one hundredth of a second, I always try to have a tripod. Um, it's just, you know, I try to put my camera on a tripod because, um, you know, when you start getting down there to one fiftieth of a second and stuff like that, even pressing the shutter button can give camera shake. Uh, even if you're keeping the camera completely still, even if you have the camera on a tripod and uh, you're pressing the shutter button, you can still get camera shake and uh, ruin images. Uh, so in those, you know, in those cases, you're going to break out the shutter release cable. You know, when I go way down to night photography and stuff, that's the way I do it is I put my camera on a tripod and I usually have a shutter release cable or I use the on-camera timer. So uh, back to uh, the original question, uh, do you start off in manual mode or auto mode. And, uh, this question was asked, it was actually asked on a forum as well. And, uh, I watched a lot of the replies and I will say that probably nine out of 10, there was probably a good 50 replies or more. And it was on Facebook. And, uh, out of those 50, I would say 40, 
46 of them, 44 to 46 of them all said they started in manual mode. And I'm going to call BS on that. I just don't see it. Um, you know, I've known a lot of people buying cameras and buying DSLRs when they first hit the market. And I will pretty much tell you, everybody is probably going to start out in auto mode unless they're really really confident in their ability to set the settings on the camera you know uh, all of us old timers not old timers I'm a mid timer but all of us people that got to start back in the 35 millimeter days you know our old uh, SLRs our old 35 millimeters a lot of them the one I started with which was a K Pentax K1000 all it has is auto there's nothing on that camera that does I mean all I'm sorry all it has is manual there's nothing at all on that camera that you can set for auto the only thing that it actually helps you with is it has a it has like a light meter that's in the viewfinder so it'll tell you if your exposure is, is, is on point, you know, to give you an idea if you're underexposed or overexposed. Uh, so you can set your uh, aperture on your lens or your shutter speed uh, up or down to get your uh, light meter that's inside the, the viewfinder on the camera to center so you know that you're on point. Uh, but, you know, those cameras, uh, everything was dialed in. You had to do everything manually and you had to have a pretty good... You had to have a pretty good concept of what you were doing, because if not, you were going to ruin a lot of film. You either had 24 or 36, 24 or 36 exposures, and I can tell you I ruined a lot, a lot of film. I remember a time back when uh, I was shooting some indoor stuff, and uh, I shot... God, I mean, back in those days, you know, film wasn't cheap, and it wasn't cheap to get it developed if you did the one-hour thing. If you sent it off for a week or whatever, it, you know, it wasn't that expensive. But if you did the one-hour development, I remember um, doing this the, this photo shoot and being really, really excited about it. And uh, it was a free trade shoot, and uh, I went, and it was a boardwalk shoot, and I went and got the pictures. I, I did the shoot, and I took them right to the mall to uh, Wolf Camera. And uh, to get them, uh, and this was in the Townie Small in Dallas, or Mesquite actually. And I took the pictures, I was so excited about it, and I took them right to the mall to get them developed. And uh, I did the one hour thing, so I went and got something to eat in the mall, and I came back, and all of the pictures were underexposed. So my aperture was too high, uh, I didn't have enough light, you know, they were just, they were not, you know... Basically, Wolf, you know, said, hey, you don't even have to pay for these if you don't want them. But, you know, that you could see, you know, you could see in the pictures, you could see them and they weren't, you know, but they, but the settings in the camera were off. All of my settings were off. So all of the pictures that, you know, in today's times, they would all, I would have trashed them all, you know, and even kept any of them. But um, I was actually a little bit embarrassed to tell you the truth because uh, the guy was asking me what my aperture was and I was like, uh, I don't know. I don't know what I had my aperture on. And I wasn't a hundred percent confident in what I was doing with my aperture at that time. I didn't understand exactly how it worked. So I basically just kept it somewhere in the middle. I tried to keep it around an F4. I had a 1.8 lens on that camera. <clears throat> 
excuse me, had a 1.8 lens on the 35 millimeter 1.8 lens on that camera. And uh, I tried to keep my aperture because I didn't know exactly how aperture worked. So I tried to keep it around a four to, I guess, a six. And I probably had it set at an F4. So it wasn't near enough light. So if I'd have dropped it down to, uh, you know, and then the other thing is, uh, I didn't, I had like a 400 speed film in there and for doing any inside low light photography, you really needed an 800. So there was a lot of things I did wrong. So, you know, that's the way it goes. So you don't want to have that problem if you're shooting, um, you know, your first gig. But the one thing I can tell you and where you're lucky in the digital age is, you know, you, you have that LCD to see what you're getting. So, you know, if, if you, if you dial your camera in in manual mode and you shoot some pictures and you can tell that you're not getting what you need, you can throw that camera into auto mode really quick and go from there and let it take some good pictures so you have something good. Now, if this is a wedding or something like that, a bar mitzvah, quinceanera, something where it's going to be really special moments and you need to capture those moments, put that camera in auto mode and get those moments. Don't miss those moments because that is why you are there. And if you miss those moments, you're really going to be letting somebody down and you're really going to be letting yourself down. So, you know, the number one thing being a photographer, I don't care across the board, whatever it takes. The number one thing when you're a photographer is get the photos, get the shots, whatever it takes. Don't be embarrassed to be in auto mode. If that's what it takes you to get the shots, you throw that camera in auto mode and you get the shots. Now, they may not be quite as artistic as somebody like myself that can come out there and throw my camera in manual mode and really uh, pull out depth of field and, you know, and, and all of those things. But you can get great pictures in auto mode. Do I, su- do I suggest people be in auto mode? No. You need to learn your camera. You need to learn your camera and you need to get out of auto mode if you want to be a professional. If you want to be a hobbyist uh, or if you just want to be fluent with your camera. I mean, you don't want, you know, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, it's like driver's ed. You know, when you were a kid, like uh, when you first started driving, you had to have uh, somebody with you. Well, you don't want to have somebody with you. That's like a crutch. Well, that's what auto mode is for your camera. It's a crutch. So if you don't know exactly what you're doing, your camera can take over all the settings for you and basically help you out. And that's what it's there for. And, um, you know, there's all kinds, there's other settings, aperture priority, uh, and, you know, all of those things. And, and they're there for you to use. They're all tools. But me, I, I, I am in manual mode 90% of the time, 99% of the time. Every now and then, uh, if, uh, you know, if I'm in a a situation where maybe the sun's setting or, uh, you know, my, my surroundings are changing, I might put my camera into auto white balance. I do that from time to time, but most of the time I'm in full on manual mode and I'm controlling all those settings. And, you know, when you've been a photographer for a long time, it doesn't take you five seconds to read to change things. So if things are moving or, you know, if you're sunsetting or whatever, it doesn't take me any time. And I usually do it without even thinking about it. I mean, I just realize, you know, that, okay, it's darker now. And I, you know, I, I bring my aperture down, I bring my shutter speed down, whatever I need to do to compensate, to get some more light into my camera, into my lens. So I'm uh, getting proper exposures for my pictures. Uh, but you know, the, I think, uh, you know, I, 
I got the idea from the person that was asking the question uh, that they were embarrassed uh, that they were going to be shooting a gig, basically, even though it was a free gig and they were possibly going to be in auto mode. And they were asking if they should start in manual mode. And I just can't recommend that unless you're really confident in what you're doing because you're there to capture images for somebody's event or somebody's gig. Um, and the most important thing in that scenario is to get the pictures. So just, you know, do whatever you have to do, but make sure you do get the pictures for, uh, for the people that you're, uh, that you've been asked to uh, take the pictures for, because when it comes down to it, that is the most important thing in photography. It doesn't matter if you're doing your own personal work. It doesn't matter if you're working for somebody for free. It doesn't matter if you're working for somebody for pay. The name of the game or the end product is you getting the shots. And if you don't get the shots, you didn't do your job. So if you're handicapped and you don't know all your manual settings on your camera, by all means, throw that baby in auto mode and let it do what it can do. Because today's cameras are pretty amazing and they pretty much can get you some decent clean shots that you're going to be able to use. Uh, like I said, you're not going to, you know, it's probably not going to pull the heavy depth of field and stuff like that you can get when you control your settings manually. And that's why you learn your camera so you control your settings manually is so you can get those uh, great artistic uh, uh, depth of field shots and, you know, with a bokeh in the background and that kind of stuff um, that you may not get when you're running in manual mode. There's a lot of other things, you know, I mean, uh, sorry, running in auto mode. When you are running in manual mode is when you can get those shots. Uh, The other thing is, you know, your camera sometimes doesn't, you know, it's compensating for everything. So sometimes maybe it may not actually pick up exactly right, quite right where it should be. So, uh, you know, your sky might be a little yellow or, you know, there's some different things because it may not be choosing quite the right white balance because it's a shade, you're in shade and, And, uh, you know, it's just, there's different things that sometimes the camera just doesn't always pick the perfect, the perfect settings. You know, it compensates for everything. And sometimes that makes things very non-artistic, makes it very snapshotty, like uh, anybody can take those shots. So that's, you know, that's one of the main benefits of uh, getting out of auto mode and taking control of your camera and taking control of all the settings in your camera is so you can actually bring out your own artistic vision in the shot you're taking and get stuff that's not just snapshots, which is a lot of what you will get when you're in auto mode. All right, guys, we're going to take a break and uh, we will be right back in about two minutes.
Alright guys, welcome back. Uh, now we're going to be moving into the news segment and our first photography news segment is going to be a sad one and it's going to be coming out of Santa Barbara, California where we had four photographers, uh, four UCSB researchers who were actually on a train trestle uh, taking photos. Uh, they were all four from China, I believe. Looks like they were all four from China from what the article says. They were all... Uh, up on the train trestle taking photos when an Amtrak train barreled down on them. Uh, it says three of the four people involved in the fatal train accident along the Giovoto coast over the weekend were visiting scholars at U.S. At UC Santa Barbara, university officials said Monday. One person was killed and two others were injured Saturday evening when they were struck by a train at Vista Point near Ariel Hondo, according to the Santa, the Santa Barbara County Fire Department. Visiting scholars are not students, but researchers who work with professors George Folsham, Folsham, director of news and media relations for UCSB, told NewsHawk. Folsham said he could not immediately provide the names of those involved or information about where they were or from, what departments they were working in. Additional details also may be limited due to privacy laws, he added. Witness said uh, a group of four people, two men and two women, were on the train trestle taking photographs when a southbound Amtrak train approached. Uh, he said the group tried to get off the trestle, which bridges a deep coastal canyon, but were unable to do so and were struck by the passenger train. One woman, who apparently was from China, was knocked from the trestle and declared dead at the scene. The Santa Barbara County Coroner's Office has not released the woman's name pending notica- notification of relatives. Uh, all I can say is we are working with the Chinese consulate and UCSB to make notification of next to kin, said Kelly Hoover, our corner spokeswoman. Another woman suffered moderate injuries and was taken to was taken by American Medical Response Ambulance to Santa Barbara Cottage Hospital. One of the men had major injuries to his upper extremities and head and was airlifted to a hospital by CalStar helicopter, Ellison said. The fourth person was not injured. Guys, uh, you know, gosh, these people were very intelligent people and scholars. And, uh, you know, you just got to be careful out there. You can't take anything for granted. And, uh, you know, uh, SLR Lounge that reported on this story, they've actually got a very good article uh, on their website in regards to this story. They reported on it as well. And uh, they actually have a very, very good article on this. And uh, the article is basically telling you uh, four or five reasons why you should not ever take photos on a train track or train trestle. And uh, it goes without saying, you know, it's common sense. But the main one is it could cost you your life. Uh, you know, trains come at different times. Um, trains are not on a set schedule. I know a lot of people think that a train runs every day at the exact same time, and that's not necessarily true. Trains are not on a set schedule, so a train can barrel down on you at any moment. And I can tell you from experience, when I was a kid one time walking on uh, train tracks, uh, you just take it for granted that you'll hear the train. It's a big, you know, it's a big uh, train. And uh, I can tell you that when I was probably about 10 or 11 years old, I was walking down the railroad tracks. I'd done it a hundred times. And, uh, you know, I used to hang out by the railroad tracks and I would take pennies. And, you know, when I knew the train was coming, I could hear it coming. I'd put the pennies up on the railroad track, the 
the railroad track and let the train squash the pennies. And I think a lot of us did that as kids back in the day. And, uh, but I can tell you this one day I was walking down the tracks, <clears throat> excuse me. And I never, I didn't hear anything. And, um, uh, just in a, in a nick, you know, the, the train was, uh, the was sounding his horn. The engineer was sounding his horn, but I was daydreaming and just didn't hear it. And, uh, I turned around and the train was probably about 50 yards from me, but, um, you know, I had plenty of time to get off the tracks, but, you know, even at 10 years old or however old I was, I knew that if I had not have turned around when I did, I probably wouldn't have had plenty of time to get off the tracks. So it scared the bejesus out of me. And I never just, uh, nonchalantly walked down the railroad tracks again. And, um, I have actually been tempted myself as a photographer when I'm out and about. I've actually been attempted a couple of times. One time was in Mississippi to actually venture out on a train trestle because you just think, ah, you know, there's no train. Train's not going to come, you know, and if it does, I'll have time to get off the trestle. And, you know, that just may not be the case. So it's just not worth risking your life. Um, You know, we all want to get those amazing photos and you know, uh, that view from a train trestle is, you know, it's candy and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like bait for, uh, you know, a hungry wolf. And, uh, you know, you want to get up there and walk on those train trestles and get some amazing photos, but you know, you just don't want them to be your last. So my advice to you is just don't ever go on train trestles. You know, I know it's very cliche. It's been very cliche the last few years, thank God it's dying out. I've never did it. I just thought it was kind of hokey and kind of, uh, I just, I'm not, I don't like to judge people's art, but it just was never my cup of tea. Uh, the people doing all of the train track glamour photos and the train track, uh, engagement photos. And man, you know, they were really out there for several years. There's lots and lots of, uh, lots of lots of photos being done on train tracks and man I just always would think like wow just how dangerous that was and uh and it is dangerous I mean it could uh you know it could cost you your life if you're not really paying attention to what you're doing and the problem is is when you're taking photos you're in that moment you're in your you and your you are in your creative realm so uh a lot of times you know the perimeter and things going on around you, unless you have an assistant or somebody looking out for you, you may not see that train coming. And, uh, that could, you know, be the last photos you take and the last photo shoot you set up and it's just not worth it. So my advice to you is just stay off the train tracks, you know, um, always be aware of your surroundings, always be aware of what you're doing. Uh, I can tell you, uh, since relocating out to the desert, you know, uh, I've been out at night doing some night photography, and uh, I always take a flashlight with me. I usually take a walking stick, but I was out the other night, didn't take a walking stick. And uh, I took a, took my uh, small man uh, Manfrotto uh, tripod. And man, I was getting down and, you know, right at the ground and taking some very cool uh, night artistic uh, desert photos with not really paying a whole lot of attention to what was around me. And uh, I can tell you this was last weekend. We had the blood moon, and so it was that night of the blood moon, which was not last weekend. I guess it was last Wednesday, I believe. Yeah, last Wednesday, 6 a.m., something like that was like the perfect time, like 3, between 3 and 6 a.m. So at that time, I was out shooting photos, and uh, 
I had some, uh, I had some guests out here. Uh, uh, one of them, uh, did the podcast last weekend. So, uh, that was Miss LEX, the very talented Miss LEX. She was on the podcast. So if you didn't hear that show, make sure to check it out. Uh, they came out here from LA, her and, uh, director, uh, Miss Nika Z. And, uh, we had a great time and took a bunch of very cool photos, but, uh, I kind of ventured off by myself and, uh, this is the desert, you know, my place, I have five acres and it is in town, but it's still all desert around here. But man, I've just really gotten comfortable. I'm always walking around in flip flops and, you know, and this and that. And, uh, I can, and yesterday, um, Tuesday, I went outside to take my dog, Charlie, out and uh, let him do his business. And I have a fairly large patio, covered patio in the front of the house. And so I usually just chill out there while he goes and runs around and takes care of uh, whatever he's got to take care of. And uh, I went out and I walked by a floor jack, which is a hydraulic jack I have for cars. And uh, I can tell you that I heard something. And I immediately knew exactly what it was when I heard it. I was like, holy moly. Uh, I hadn't heard that since uh, I was a kid growing up in West Texas, the deserts of West Texas. Uh, And it was a rattlesnake underneath the jack. And this rattlesnake, it literally came right up on my, for a better word, porch. Um, My, uh, the patio, it was up on top. It was up on the patio under the jack that I'd had. So uh, needless to say, uh, the snake didn't fare too well. I felt really bad about having to kill it, but I just didn't feel comfortable letting it go. And I actually captured it, but I didn't feel comfortable getting, putting it in a box and trying to take it and release it. Because if I'd have gotten myself bit, you know, then everybody has said, well, why didn't you just kill it? So, uh, that's what I did. Uh, but you know, the moral of the story is, is, you know, when we're taking photos, a lot of times, you know, I'm a photographer too, so I know how this works. We really get honed in on our art and we kind of don't maybe pay enough attention to everything else around us because we're so in the moment of trying to capture that that photo that we want to get. So, um, you know, let this be a warning to you to please be careful out there, people, because, uh, you know, photography's fun and uh, you shouldn't lose your life uh, just taking some photos. So be careful out there, people. And uh, the next story is going to be a little bit brighter than that one. Uh, It's going to be, if nobody has noticed, uh, one of the Holy Grail. This is for us Nikonians. Sorry, Canon listeners. Uh, Hopefully I'll find uh, some, uh, hopefully I'll find some gravy for you guys uh, sooner or later. Uh, But uh, this is for us Nikonians. uh, For uh, any of the Nikonians out there that doesn't know what's going on right now, one of only 350 uber rare 13 millimeter Nikon lenses is being auctioned off on eBay. And it is the Holy Grail lens, the 13 millimeter 5.6. And uh, like I said, there's only uh, 350 of them that was ever made. And this one was actually owned by John Dykstra, Dykstra, uh, who, uh, John Dykstra, who actually, uh, worked on Star Wars, Stuart Little, Spider-Man, to name a few. Um, his, uh, company was called Apogee, Apogee Productions Incorporated. And, uh, the lens was in his company inventory for many years, uh, but only used a few times. And the late... 
I guess in the early 90s, all of Apogee's, uh, the camera equipment was sold to Sony Pictures Imageworks, uh, where it was only used once for a test on Stuart Little. And then it was bought by the previous owner, who has now put it on eBay and is looking to unload it. And I'm looking at the uh, auction right now on eBay, and it is got one day and three hours left. Uh, the, the It's going to end uh, today, uh, Thursday at well, well, I'm recording this on Wednesday for Thursday's uh, broadcast. So it's going to end Thursday at 7.09 a.m. So in the morning it's going to be ending. Um, and uh, it is, the reserve is not met and it is up. There's been 46 bids and we are at $24,300. And we still haven't even met the reserve. So... Uh, I'm thinking the lens will probably go for right around $30,000. I know there's one from Japan that I've seen uh, that uh, was listed, I think, at $29,000 or right at $30,000. So this one may go up to maybe $32,000. I know people think that's a lot of money for a lens, but man, you are going to have a lens that you're going to be like one of the only people on the face of the earth that has this lens. So... Um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't, I appreciate the lens. I would never pay that much for it. I mean, I do appreciate the lens and I appreciate everything about the lens, but, um, I, you know, I know a lot of photographers out there go, Oh no, you know, if I had the extra 20,000, I would jump at it. But, uh, yeah, I just don't, I couldn't pay that much money for just the one lens. Uh, I'd rather invest like in a Hasselblad camera system or something like that myself for medium format. But if you do film, uh, I mean, if you, if you're doing video work, oh my gosh, you really got an amazing lens on your hands. If you get a hold of that 13 millimeter. Um, yeah. So anyway, and, uh, and that's going to conclude the news for this week. And now we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, some equipment that was uh, just released by Nikon for us Nikonians. And that is going to be the Nikon D750 Full Frame Freedom Capacity Versatility in the Nikon D750. Uh, It's going to be uh, a full frame. It's uh, it's got built-in Wi-Fi in it. Uh, it's actually, uh, got, let's see, it's got a tilt LCD screen. It doesn't actually come out and maneuver around or like the, uh, like the D3300 or 3100 or the 50, I'm sorry, the 5100. I have the 5100 and it does that. I'm not sure if the 3300 does. I don't think it does, but it, uh, actually it'll just tilt down. So if you're doing video, and you've got to put the camera like down for a skateboard or something. You can tilt the LCD uh, up towards you. Uh, I will say that I haven't got my hands on one of these cameras yet, but I'm going to hopefully as soon as possible. I can say that I have watched a couple of reviews on the camera. Uh, one of them was from Jared Poland. Uh, most of you know him from froknowsphoto.com. Uh, he did a very outstanding review on this camera. He actually shot a football game with a camera um, that he uh, used a 600 millimeter f4, I believe, if I remember. And he also shot part of the game with a 400 millimeter 2.8, I believe. I'd have to go back and watch it again. It's been a week or so since I watched it. 
but uh, he also did some video uh, with those lenses and uh, one I believe he handheld one was on a monopod and I think one was on a tripod if not mistaken he'll tell you in the video if you check it out it's on YouTube you can look at it it's a great review of the camera if you're interested in looking at it um, and I can tell you from the video I was very impressed because it was all shot in low light but uh, granted you're using 10,000 auto lenses almost on the camera one of them is you know they're both pretty close to 10 grand 10 to 12 grand on the lenses but um, I can say that uh, the quality of the video I was very impressed with it because it was low light and he was doing a lot of panning and it was just crystal clear which is something that us Nikonians have been lusting after that Canon has been doing ever since the 7D and that is having a clean picture when you're panning your camera around with the Nikons we got a lot of artifact or a lot of um, aliasing you would see a lot of artifacts and a lot of breaking up in the edges uh, you know when you started panning around with the DSLR Nikons uh, and that's why a lot of people chose the Canons over the Nikons uh, for one of those facts and I can tell you uh, from looking at that video I didn't see any of that so that's very very exciting uh, it's a like I said it's a epic it's, it's a lot like the 600 in the 610 so I mean uh, um, I, I don't you know I guess I've already seen some people trading up I've seen some people uh, you know uh, on uh, the Nikon uh, buy and sell and trade on Facebook dumping their Nikon 600 and 610 for the 750 so uh, I don't know exactly uh, what how much better the 750 is you know probably it's minute uh, you know it's it's an FX format it's 24.3 megapixels. It, now, it is 6.5 frames per second, which is nice. That's pretty high speed uh, for a 24.3 megapixel camera without a battery grip. I mean, uh, so, uh, and it goes, ISO is expandable all the way up to 51,200. Uh, and basic uh, is 100, ISO 100 to 12,800. Uh, full HD at 1080p at 60 frames 50 frames 30 frames 25 frames and 24 frames per second so that is something for Nikon that's really come up uh, 60 frames per second is something that we've all been wanting uh, in the DSLRs uh, you know just so you can do a lot better slow-mo uh, on action stuff if you're slowing it down it's a lot smoother with that 60 frames per second so the one thing I'm disappointed in the camera about is it's basically so it should be replacing my Nikon D700, which my 700 is, you know, it's a 12 megapixel full frame, and it's to the point now it's I'm ready to get a different camera, probably to upgrade that camera possibly, um, and I really wanted a camera to replace the 700 with the same body so I know the 800 has the same body as the D700 basically it's got the round uh, eyepiece for the viewfinder and it's a bigger heavier body and uh, with the 750 it basically looks just like the 600 and I'm not a fan I like it look I I don't mind a smaller camera I have some I have a you know I've got an old Nikon D90 I've got a D5100 I've got a D7000 the D7000 you know but they're they're just a 
they just don't feel as robust and professional to me as the 700. And coming from the old SLR days with an F5, an Icon F5, and then an Icon D1, I I know a lot of photographers complain about a big camera body, but I'm not one of them. I actually like a big, robust, professional camera for my main body. That's why I choose my 700 most of the time, because I just like the way it feels better in my hands. It's a bigger, heavier, robust camera. And I would have really loved this camera, uh, the 750, to replace the 700, but to actually be in the seven or the 800 body. I don't, you know, even with this uh, tilt LCD screen, they could have put it in the 700 body. But Nikon, you know, I guess they're trying to, uh, you know, they're they're trying to let people save money. The 750, it, you know, it starts at uh, 22.99. So that's pretty reasonable. It's very reasonable, but it's still, to me, a prosumer body. It's not a full professional body like the D800. Um, And that's kind of disappointing because the D700 is a full professional body. It doesn't have the built grip on it, so it's really a prosumer body. But it is a prosumer, not a consumer. And to me, these, these very... Uh, plasticky or, you know, I mean, they, they have some magnesium alloy in them, but they just, they don't feel very robust to me. And I know a lot of the new, new photographers, the new breed, they're all about having a smaller camera. They all want a little, the smaller, the better. To me, if you want that, if you want a really small camera, go get a D5100. I've got one and it just, you know, it's not on the level of the D700 and the D700 is a lot older camera than my D5100. The D5100 actually takes 16 megapixel pictures. The D700 is just 12. But the D700 feels like a lot more sturdy, robust camera to me. That's why it's usually my go-to. My go-to camera these days. Uh, The one that I usually pick up out of all the four that I have. The one I usually pick up to shoot with unless I'm trying to get out there uh, shooting like something like the moon the other night. I shot that with a D7000 because it's a crop frame and my 400 millimeter gets out there a little bit further at a 1.4 times factor. So, uh, but if I'm just shooting and trying, you know, wanting something uh, wide angle, it's a D700 and I love the D700. It's a great camera. And I've really been, uh, I would have really been excited if the D750 would have had the same body as the D700 or the D800. Uh, with a bigger, robust body, uh, you know they already we already have the Nikon D six hundred, and the D six hundred, the bodies basically look just the same. So for me personally, it was a really big disappointment for the seven fifty to come out and basically look the chassis and the body, to me basically looks exactly like the six hundred and the six ten. The only difference is you have this tilt screen LCD, so you can tilt the LCD screen up if you're doing video, which really that is nice if you're doing video. Uh, I guess if you are doing video, this is probably going to be Nikon's camera to go to now for the video. The other thing I do like about this camera is it does have the built-in Wi-Fi, so that's nice. I actually have a, uh, I have an iFi card that I use, uh, an SD card that I use in my uh, cameras, the S, the ones that I can use the SD card in, um, and uh, you know I'll actually do wireless transfer doing photo shoots. I've actually done wireless transfer to my iPad, and they uh, they transfer wirelessly to my iMac. 
So the Wi-Fi I love because uh, I don't I haven't shot tethered in a long time. Ever since I bought the uh, Wi-Fi, I don't really shoot tethered. Uh, the 700 is the only camera I really shoot tethered anymore with. Um, so it, in studio, that is. So I don't know. I'm a little bit disappointed in the body of the 750, but I like the camera stuff if that makes sense. Um, it's, you know, I guess a lot of the features were inspired by the D4S and the D8, the D810, uh, from the, the inner workings of the camera, the guts of the camera, the, you know, the stuff that's actually really important. Uh, I'm just being a baby pretty much, you know, uh, wanting that bigger pro body on, uh, on the camera, you know, just, uh, I don't know. I, d- I don't know that I really want a, um, I don't really know that I want an 800 and, uh, I do need to get another camera or I'm going to be looking to get another camera, but I don't know that I want the 800 at 36 megapixels. I just don't think I need that many megapixels. And the thing that's held me back from getting rid of my 700 and getting the 600 is I don't want to trade down on bodies. My 700 is a big, robust camera body and I love the body of that camera. If I get a 600, it's going to be no different than my D7000. If I get this D750, it's going to be no different body-wise from my D7000. And I want a big camera body to replace my D700. But I don't want a 36 megapixel D800 to do it. So for me, Nikon missed the mark here. And I know I'm just picky and I'm one out of probably a hundred thousand or maybe a million that's even going to care about that. But, uh, you know, I stay partial to my D 700 because I like the big body. I mean, I don't even have to have a grip on that camera and it's plenty big enough. The other cameras, every other camera I own, the D 5100, the 90, uh, the 7,000, they all have a body grip on them or, um, you know, the, the external grip. And, uh, but the 700, I don't have a grip on it because it isn't needed. It's a big enough camera that it feels robust in my hand and it fits in my hand well, uh, without, with it, without even having a grip on it. So I know I can get up to eight frames per second with a camera with a grip, but I'm not shooting sports anymore. So I don't really need that, uh, studio work, landscape work, stuff like that. I don't really need the fast shutter speeds, um, Anyway, so that's my thoughts on the D750. As far as the internal stuff on the camera, the image quality on the camera, uh, gosh, I mean, I guess they redid uh, the format sensor, the uh, 24.3 FX format sensor. I'm not sure if it's the same one that's in the D600. I think it's a new sensor. And that's why it goes all the way up to expandable ISO 51200. I don't even know. I don't think you could even get close to that, actually. I mean, I never try to push ISO up above 1,200, 1,600 myself. But, uh, you know, that's one of the things that uh, is nice about these newer DSLRs is, you know, you really can push the ISO up there and get really great shots. Um, the shooting... The cinematography of this camera is going to be great. The cutting edge HD video capabilities with the 60 frames per second. Yeah, that's great. So like I said, a lot of the, uh, a lot of what's on the inside of the camera, I love. I just wish they would have went, you know, and they advertise that nimble design, uh, nimble design. You know, they've actually got it modeled up against like a 700 and like how much smaller and, and uh, the chassis is and stuff. And, you know, with me, I want a big camera. 
So, uh, or at least one, my main body, I wanted a decent sized camera. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do now. I don't know if I'll just wait around because it looks like the way Nikon is going is they're not going with any more bigger body cameras. So unless you move up, they're wanting you to move up into like a D4 or D4S to get a a real professional body, which to me, those are real professional bodies because they have the built in grip, basically the whole camera. It's one, it's one, it's one camera body. There's no grip that you put on the bottom of it. Even like the D700 of mine, you, you put an external grip on it. That's why I call the D700 a prosumer. It's a prosumer. It's it, it's actually built professionally, but because it doesn't have that built built-in grip on it, like a D4, D4S, or D3 or D2, you know, all of those cameras have the grip built in, and those are professional body cameras, like the old Nikon F5, the old Nikon D1 that I used to have. They're big, bulky, and they have the grip built in, and uh, the D700 doesn't. And, but it's still, it's that big, same big camera just without the grip. So it's a prosumer instead of a consumer, uh, which is basically for everybody. And, uh, is the way it used to be. I don't really know how, how to explain it today. Uh, used to the smaller, cheaper cameras were consumer grade cameras. Uh, when you moved into a bigger camera, it was a professional or prosumer camera. Then you moved into the camera with a a built-in body grip that was a professional body camera so I like having a prosumer body camera or a professional body camera I can't I actually want a d4 d4s uh, not sure I'm willing to shell out five or six grand to get one so I'll probably just stay for the time being with my d700 I don't see another camera that's going to come out and uh, it's going to actually uh, replace my d700 right now I don't know that this D750, I just don't know that it's a camera that I'm wanting to rush out there to get. It's really not, because uh, I just don't think I really need the 24 megapixels as of right now. Um, I do like the the film aspects of it for video. Uh, I would buy this camera for video work, but that's about it. Uh, anyway, I don't think uh, I don't think it replaces anything that I have. Um, I just, I just don't, I mean, I could use it, for, I, I would buy it for the video aspects of it, but I can tell you right now, if I bought it, I would probably still shoot my D700, and I would probably just use it for video, it would probably take the replace of my 5100, uh, and then I'd probably still use my 5100 90% of the time, because the LCD will swivel around, so you can record stuff, and actually be, you know, you can record stuff solo, you can record using that, uh, like my old Sony, because you can swivel the CD, the LCD around, so you can actually see yourself when you're recording into the camera, which this 750 doesn't do, it just swivels up, so, anyway, those are uh, my thoughts on the D750 for you Nikonians out there. If you disagree with me, please let me know. Tweet me on uh, Twitter. Tell me I'm full of it, whatever. Uh, you know, let me know what your thoughts are. I would love to actually hear from somebody who's actually held this camera, maybe even used this camera and give me your thoughts on it. Uh, and let me, let me know what you think of the camera. I think it's a, I think it's a great camera. Don't get me wrong. It's another great Nikon. I just don't know why we needed another D600 type body, you know, or D7000, D600, uh, you know, they're all that exact same small body. And uh, I would have loved for Nikon to have given us one more 
big, robust body, just like the D800. D750, D800, D810 should have been the same body, in, in, in my opinion, instead of D600 and D750 having the same body. I don't know, though. That's just my opinion. Uh, you know, and my opinion doesn't amount to much when it comes to what Nikon builds. <laughs> so anyway, guys, uh, God, we're running on 53 minutes here, and uh, I think we're going to end this segment a little bit early today, maybe. Uh, usually uh, usually uh, last right at an hour, so we're going to cut it short here a little bit, I believe. But uh, I just want to uh, tell you, you can uh, visit my website at ravholly.com. That's R-A-V-H-O-L-L-Y.com. You can uh, tweet me or follow me on Twitter at Rav Holly, uh, and you can also check out my work, some of my work, and uh, what I do on Instagram at Rav Holly. Um, I'm trying to uh, trying to find guests for the show, so if you know anybody that might be interested in coming out to the Desert Compound, or if you'd like to be interested, if you have something to to promote, if you would like to sponsor the podcast, always looking for sponsors, of course. Um, Gosh, uh, if you have any questions, I want to add like a question segment to the podcast. So um, I want to if you if you have a question for me, send me uh, you can tweet me. You can uh, send me a DM on Twitter or you can email me at ravholly at gmail dot com with your question. And I will uh, say your name on the podcast and I will ask your question. I will answer your question on the on the podcast. So. Uh, if you have any questions, throw them at me, or if you just have any feedback, throw it at me. I'm uh, I'm down to listen to whatever you uh, whatever you have to say. Uh, hopefully, like I said, we'll get some more guests on the podcast, make it a little bit more interesting for you guys. I'm looking to uh, actually add like a call in segment as well. So maybe if you're interested in calling in, I'm looking uh, at getting the the setup so I can uh, record phone calls so we can add that to the podcast to make it a little bit more interesting as well. So you're just not sitting here listening to me talk the whole time because it's more interesting when you have more people to communicate with. I totally get it. I listen to podcasts myself. I love podcasts myself. So, uh, you know, there's three or four of them that I have that I make time to listen to. And, uh, I know my buddy, uh, Jose for her Ray for Jose. He pretty much always has a guest on his podcast or he doesn't podcast, but I've made a commitment to do this every week. So, uh, whether I have a guest or not, there's going to be a podcast every Thursday at three o'clock. So, uh, anyway, this is going to conclude, uh, episode four of images, everything. I thank you so much for tuning in. I'd love to hear your feedback. So, uh, let me know. Also check out my uh, YouTube videos on YouTube at Rav Photos, uh, YouTube Rav Photos, or you could just uh, search for my name, Rav Holly, and uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel. I put some uh, different equipment reviews and different uh, videos up there for you guys. So anyway, that's going to wrap it up for Images Everything this week. We'll see you back here next Thursday at 3 p.m. Have a great day, guys. So, so This one here, yup, it's for so Cali. From SD and go wood up to the valley. In Hollywood, Malibu, back to the alleys. You know the way we live in sweet, like cotton candy. Me, I rest my head here in
Gets down for SoCali We make moves in SoCali So you must come to SoCali So, 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 Cali So, 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 Cali So, Cali Now where I stay, every day I watch the palm sway Sand on their feet, pride